0: We live on a cul-de-sac street here in Maitland, and in fact, many of our neighbors are actually members here at Maitland Prez, which keeps us really honest, but between our street and the next street over, it's two streets in this one little neighborhood, I think there are somewhere over 30 young children, 30 young children in our neighborhood, and they're always out playing in the street and riding little bikes and playing tag, and they are so fun to watch as they do this from a distance, inside my home, (laughs) on the couch. Because being around little people, raising little people, well, that's really hard. If you are a parent with small children at home, what you're doing is really hard. And for the rest of us, the next time you see someone who's raising small children, be kind to them because they are exhausted. So I'm watching these exhausted and very committed parents out with their kids one day, but there's this one moment Every day, just around dinner time, when they all have to convince their kids to stop playing and go inside for dinner and for naps and going to bed. And this is when that power struggle between parents and child really starts to unfold. The parents know their kids need to eat and have a bath, it's for their own good, but the kids only see that they're being taken away from the games that they're playing and their friends and what they want. They love their parents, but they love what they're doing a little bit more, so they cry. The parents try to scoop them up. The children, like, go boneless. (laughs) Parents try to reason with them about why it's actually good to go in the house, and the kids are left with a choice. Trust their loving and committed parents or sulk, and usually (laughs) they sulk. Being able to see past their immediate future, seeing past what they want right now in the short term versus what their parents want for them. For little kids, that's pretty impossible. You know, we've been in the sermon series Follow now for several weeks, and as we've talked about following Jesus, I found myself thinking how much like little children we really are more and more every week as we've talked about it. Maybe because thinking about following Jesus pulls out of us that faith like a child that the scriptures talk about. It calls us to, to put our faith in someone else, to put our trust in someone else, to let Jesus lead us when so many of us as adults are used to being in charge all the time. But maybe we're not quite as mature in our faith as we'd like to think. You know, in the other areas of our life, we are crushing us as adults. We pay our taxes, we mow the yard, we write thank you notes. I'm working on that one. But when it comes to our faith, we're still kids. We're not, And not necessarily in a faith like a child kind of way. More in a, I want what I want and I'm going to sulk if God doesn't give it to me kind of way. Because once you start following Jesus... There's gonna be times when you can see something you want. It's right there in front of you, but for some reason you just can't have it. Or you get this feeling that Jesus is calling you to follow him over here and go in a different direction from this thing that you want. Right there in front of you are the games you're playing with your friends in the street, like these kids in my neighborhood. And then Jesus says it's time to go inside and we have to make a decision. Are we gonna sulk? or try and run toward that thing that we really want? Or are you going to follow Jesus instead, trusting that what he wants is what's best for you, even if you can't see it? Now, this is not an easy decision. And in the Bible, we read about the disciples a lot, and the disciples were not strangers to this decision either. They had to decide all the time between wanting what they wanted and wanting what Jesus wanted for them. And this is what I love about the Bible, that the disciples are so much like you and I. The disciples were just 12 guys who followed Jesus everywhere he went. And if anyone knew Jesus, it was them. They had heard everything he taught. They had seen all the miracles he had performed. But even the disciples had trouble seeing past the thing they wanted that was right in front of them. Even the disciples had trouble trusting Jesus knew what he was doing, enough to follow him instead of looking out for the things they wanted instead. The disciples were there when a rich man approached Jesus, and he wanted to know what he needed to do. And Jesus told him to follow, he would need to sell everything he had and give all the money to the poor, and the rich man leaves, he can't do it. And then Jesus kind of turns and looks at his disciples, and Peter is so frustrated with him. Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything already to follow you. In essence, Peter is like, Jesus, what more can I give up to follow you? Jesus knows all the temptation that came and comes with wealth and possession. Peter just sees the things he wants and he can't have. Then later, James and John, another couple disciples, come up to Jesus and say, We want to sit on your left and your right when you're glorified. Jesus knows they have no idea what they're really asking, that they could never carry that kind of responsibility. But all they see is the power that they want. And then we have this story from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. And it says, Now, while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But the disciples, as they saw it, were angry and said, Why this waste? This ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And by pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And her story has been told. What's crazy is we don't even know her name. But this woman gives up her alabaster jar. This would have been worth an unimaginable amount of money. It was likely all she had. And she gives it up, breaks it open for Jesus. Her plans and her dreams, all the things that she may have wanted for Jesus. Instead of telling Jesus he shouldn't talk about dying anymore like Peter, instead of offering him some small token that doesn't really cost her anything, she gives everything up to prepare him for burial. She seems to know that what she wants needed to be second to what Jesus wants and what Jesus would do. And then we have our disciples. They see the woman break open this alabaster jar and they're angry. And I can imagine, let's picture you and me, we're in that room, and someone walks in with a huge stack of money, shreds it into confetti, and throws it in the air. We might have been with the disciples on this one. So they yell at the woman, and they claim this indignation that that money could have gone to the poor. But there's one detail Matthew leads out of the story that the Gospel of John includes. John writes, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, said, Why was this money not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? And then he says this. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he kept the common purse and used to steal what was in it. Jesus isn't looking out for the poor. Jesus is looking out for number one. He knows what he wants. He wants more money. He wants what he wants, and he's tired of putting it second to what Jesus is asking of him. But the woman, in contrast, only wants what Jesus wants first. So let's talk about us. What do you want? What do you want? Some of the things you want aren't bad in and of themselves. Maybe you want financial stability. Of course you do. Maybe you want to be comfortable or you want to be happy. Of course you do. Some of the things maybe you or I want might be more gray area. Maybe you want power or or fame or just big wealth. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you don't want things. It doesn't mean you don't want to be happy or comfortable or stable. But think again about our question. What do you want? Because following Jesus does mean you want Jesus more than what you want. It's not that you don't want things, but it's that you want Jesus more. Following Jesus means being able to say, I want Jesus more than what I want. So it's not about wanting things. It's not about not wanting things. It's about making sure Jesus is first. All right, so what does this really look like? Well, it means you can want financial stability in your life, but you want to trust Jesus with your finances more. It can mean you want to be comfortable, but you want to follow Jesus, even if that means being uncomfortable more. That you can want to be happy, but you're willing to set aside some of that happiness if Jesus calls you to do something hard more. You want Jesus more than the things that you want. And this is hard. This is a really hard part of following Jesus. But Jesus never promised being a disciple would be easy. But here is the good news. If you want Jesus more, you are putting your trust in the right place. Most of the things that you want, they're eventually going to let you down. There's not much in this world that is truly certain and dependable and unflappable for us but jesus you can trust him when you want jesus more than what you want you're choosing to follow someone who loves you more than you could ever imagine you are choosing to seek after the one god who gave everything for you instead of the things that you want that eventually might leave you empty You are choosing to follow Jesus with your whole life instead of sulking when you don't get the one thing that you think you're owed. Putting the priority on Jesus in your life, that doesn't happen overnight. Even if you're like, okay, I'm ready to do this. You're not gonna wake up tomorrow and suddenly want Jesus more than any of the other things that you're pursuing. It's not just a switch that you can flip. It takes time. So let's back up from our goal and take one step. Can you say to God today, I want to want you more than what I want? Let's think about that for a minute. I'm not there yet, Jesus, but I want to be. So I really want the things that I want, Jesus, but my heart just wants you more than these things. So I want to want you more, Jesus, than the things I want now. It's that first step to wanting to follow. So here's one more piece of good news before we stop. Changing your heart, well, that's the kind of prayer Jesus loves to answer. So if you're gonna pray and say, God, I want to want you more than the things of this world, that's the kind of work that God loves to do in you, but it's hard work too. So don't pray it unless you mean it.